it's two days before the Jewish holiday of Passover. Jerusalem is swollen with visitors. The religious leaders are huddling. This Jesus guy, we've got to get him, but we can't until after these idiots who believe in him leave town. As they're wrestling over their problem, there's a knock at the door, an unexpected visitor, Judas Iscariot. We're told Satan had entered into him. Some think it was triggered by that lavish anointing of Jesus by Mary, that this was just pure greed that he couldn't get his hands on that money. Others think he was only following Jesus to do that king part so that he could have a prominent place. And when Jesus kept pushing back on that role, he just finally lost it. Notice we're told Satan entered into him. We've learned in the past Satan cannot be more than one place at one time, but he has potentially millions of bellboys, demons, to do his work. In this case, he wants this job himself. Judas asked the men huddled in the room, What will you give me if I deliver him up to you? They know they can't grab him in the crowds or they'll be mobbed, but if somebody would gift wrap him and hand him over, that's a whole nother thing. They're thrilled. They weigh out 30 pieces of silver, hand it to Judas, and he says, I'll be in touch as he leaves the room. Judas could have held out for far more. That's a pretty garage sale price for handing over what many people thought was the Messiah. The next day is the first day of the holiday of unleavened bread wrapped around Passover. It's the time a family lamb was prepared for that Passover night dinner. If you haven't been following along with us, Please listen to episode 36, a full description of the first Passover and God's commandments for how the Passover was to be kept every year, forever. The disciples asked Jesus, where can they do this Passover meal? Jesus says, Peter, John, you guys go get this ready. Go where, teacher? Imagine being in a strange town the day before Thanksgiving, and you're told, go prepare a full Thanksgiving meal. Jesus tells them he's got that covered. Go into the city. You'll meet a guy carrying a pitcher of water. Tell him, the teacher says, my time's at hand. Where can I eat the Passover meal with my disciples? This guy will show you to a large upper room. Just like Jesus' instructions about getting the donkey, it happens exactly that way. Having been shown the room, they made the arrangements. The lamb, the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs. That night, Jesus and the disciples assemble in the room. Jesus begins that Passover meal by telling his men, I've so looked forward to eating this meal with you tonight. The next time I eat it, the kingdom of God will be here. Jesus then starts the meal with the traditional passing of the cup. Drink from this. Drink all of it. I won't drink this again until the kingdom of God is here. The gospel writers tell us Jesus knew exactly what lay ahead and the exact timeline. That could have come from insight or directly out of the Old Testament prophecies. The script had been laid out by God in advance. After the cup was passed, Jesus did something quite unexpected and extraordinary. The Gospel writer John tells us Jesus did an act of love to demonstrate that love to its extreme. He rose up from the table. Now we should talk about the table. Da Vinci painted the famous painting, The Last Supper, Undoubtedly, you've seen it. That's not how this meal happened. This meal was done Eastern style. A mat or a very low board was laid on the floor, and the men laid around it in a circle. You'd rest on your left elbow and lie counterclockwise, and that circle would be pretty tight, no matter how big the room was. 
That's because you were all sharing from a common bowl. You had to be able to reach things that were past. So if you had been invited to this last supper with Jesus, you'd have had your head close to the waist to the person on your left, and the person on your right would have their head close to your waist. If it was a really little room, your head might be close to the chest of the person to your left. Apparently, that's how the disciples were lying around this table, in a tight circle where everything could be heard and seen. Intimate, you might say. The Gospel writers tell us a little bit about who is in this circle and where. Picture this circle of Jesus and his 12 disciples like a clock. Assume Jesus is at 12 o'clock. Who is to his right at 11 o'clock? We know the answer to that question. It was the Gospel writer John. John tells us he was the one leaning against Jesus' chest. We also know where Peter wasn't. Peter wasn't at 1 o'clock, the closest person to Jesus on Jesus' left. You'd think that he would be. I mean, he was the leader of the group, the rock. But Pete's somewhere across the circle. We know this because in the middle of the meal, he asked John to ask Jesus a question. We also get the idea where Judas Iscariot is. There are hints that it's Judas Iscariot at one o'clock, the one immediately to the left of Jesus. That would be the guy with the chest Jesus' head is next to. Back to our story, Jesus gets up off his left elbow and stands up. I'm sure every disciple's eyes were fixed on him. He wraps a towel around himself, pours water into a bowl, and starts washing the disciples' feet. A little bit about custom. On a special meal like this, it's very likely that the disciples clean themselves up in a public bathhouse. They then walk to this upper room, so they were already clean, except their feet not so much. And sitting in this tight circle, some guy's dirty feet are right behind your head. So hospitality required when someone entered a home and took off their sandals, a servant would wash the dust and sweat off their feet from traveling to the home. Nobody bothered to do this in the upper room. Of course, there weren't any servants there. It was just Jesus and the disciples. And that's the point. There weren't any servants among the disciples. Traditionally, this was the role of a servant who drew the shortest straw, the newbie. Now Jesus is starting around the circle, washing the dust off the disciples' feet. There had to be icy silence. I mean, can you imagine? I turn back the clock to the 80s when I was about their age. I wonder how I'd feel if I somehow was lucky enough to get invited to a very important dinner and some extraordinary person was there at the dinner. A person like President Ronald Reagan or Mother Teresa or Muhammad Ali. Dinner ends and there's dirty glasses and plates in front of everybody. Next thing I know, President Reagan or Mother Teresa or Muhammad Ali grab a bus tub and start picking up the dirty dishes in front of us. You wash my feet? You're the Lord. Never. Jesus replies to Peter, If I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. Peter responds, Well, if that's true, Lord, give me a full bath. I love Pete. Peter, those who are clean only need their feet washed. You know that. And you guys are washed, but not all of you. We're not told the order Jesus did this, but it's possible he went around the clock, starting or ending with Judas Iscariot. When Jesus was finished with this servant task, he laid back down again on his elbow and he taught them. 
You guys call me teacher and Lord and you're right. So here's the deal. If I served you like this as your Lord, what do you think I expect you to do as my apprentices? I imagine Jesus making eye contact with each of the men in the circle, then saying, Blessed are you if you do this. At this point, they begin the Passover meal. They were to eat it quickly. They were to eat it entirely. They were to be very careful they didn't break any of the small bones of this lamb or goat in front of them. Right in the middle of this meal, Jesus stops eating, and it's obvious he's deeply troubled. Jesus blurts out, One of you is going to betray me. One who's eating with me. His hand is dipping into this bowl with me. The men at the table are shocked. But Jesus, while troubled, isn't shocked at all. Jesus continues, It was written in prophecy that it would be so, but woe, misery to the one who does this. It would have been so much better if he had not even been born. Stunned, the disciples go around the clock asking, Lord, is it me? When it's his turn, Judah speaks up, Teacher, is it me? And Jesus replies, You've said it yourself. It's at this point Peter motions to John at Jesus' chest and says, Ask him, who is it? John looks to his left into Jesus' eyes and says, Rabbi, who is it? Jesus replies, It's the one to whom I give the morsel when I dip it. The morsel was another custom. The host at a special meal would take a special piece of bread, and during the course of the meal, he or she would give it to the guest of honor as a sign of special friendship. Jesus gives the morsel to Judas. Hold the phone a minute. It's possible Judas was seated next to Jesus to his left. That's how they could have that Lord is it I conversation without the other disciples hearing. We know that Jesus had washed the feet of Judas, maybe beginning or ending with him. And now Jesus gives him the special honor of the morsel of special friendship. What's Jesus doing here? If you think he's trying to prevent Judas from betraying him, I think that's a stretch. Jesus knows a disciple will betray him. Jesus knows it's Judas. Jesus doesn't want to stop the crucifixion. For the past year, he's been fixated on going to Jerusalem and dying on the cross. How many times has he told the disciples, the Son of Man must suffer and be killed and rise on the third day? So why does Jesus do all this? I'm just going to let that seep into your soul a bit. Jesus says to him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. Do it now. At this, Jesus gets up off his left elbow smack dab in the middle of the meal, with his plate half full. And the weird thing is, nobody seems to expect Judas in the least. We're told some of the disciples think he's going out with the money bag to give money to the poor. What, in the middle of the Passover meal at night? The disciples have just been told one of them will betray Jesus. You'd think at least one of them would have heard what Jesus said to Judas, what you're doing, do it now. You'd have thought somebody would have tackled the dude, but nobody has a clue. I wonder if the guys in the circle were thinking, Judas is the last guy who'd ever do a thing like that to Jesus. With Judas out of the room, Jesus officiates the first communion or Lord's table. We're told he broke the unleavened bread in front of him. This is my body broken for you. You can almost hear the bread snap as he said it. Continue to do this to remember me. 
They then finished the meal, and when the meal was over, he took the common cup in his hand. This cup, poured out for you, is the blood of a new covenant. It's poured out for many for the remission of sins. I won't drink this cup again with you until we drink it again in my Father's kingdom. There's a phrase in there we must understand, a new covenant. Jeremiah and Ezekiel talked about this new covenant of God, talked specifically that one day God would make a new covenant with his people. God describes this new covenant in Ezekiel 36 this way, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. A new heart, a new spirit, a true holiness. The old covenant was one of law given by Moses. A holy God required strict adherence to that law, and when that law was broken, the blood of an innocent sacrifice. Now sitting around this circle on their left elbows, Jesus passes the cup and says, Gentlemen, there's a new agreement here between man and God. God intends my blood to be a once-for-all sacrifice. That sacrifice made, God's Spirit is going to move in, give you a new heart. He'll inscribe His holy laws on your heart. He'll give you both the power and the desire to obey those laws and please God. There's no way these men could comprehend what Jesus just said and was about to do. This is a complete game changer in the story of God and us. Thankfully, in the rest of the evening with his disciples, Jesus is going to flesh out this new covenant in specific and vivid ways. And we'll continue to eavesdrop on that game changer conversation in our next word picture.